Well, I tell you, it's uh, raining dots and cogs here in Salford. The good weather has momentarily disappeared, uh, but it will be back later in the week. We've got a beautiful weekend coming. That's your weather forecast, sponsored by by Guinness. Thanks to Guinness. How are you doing? Thursday, Wednesday, getting ahead of myself. Tomorrow is St. Patrick's Day. It's the 16th of March 2022. How are you? How are you? How are you? Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, I had a funny old afternoon. I spent most of it uninstalling and reinstalling software, which meant it was difficult, difficult as deadline loomed. But anyway, all's well that ends well. Software reinstalled, it's all working, and it's uh, marvellous. Absolutely marvellous to be with you. You can join in with me by text, not texting me. Must get a text line, must do that. You can message me through my website. Send me a message, richieallen.co.uk. Comment live. I have uh, John Waters on the programme today. I'm delighted to welcome him back. Irish journalist, broadcaster and author. A really, really good guy. Uh, John and uh, Gemma O'Doherty have been challenging the, the legality of lockdowns, but more importantly, they've been fighting for their right to appeal against lockdowns and to challenge lockdowns in Ireland's highest court. We'll talk to John about that and much more today, Wednesday's programme. Let's get rid of the old tune there. I don't know what it's like where you are, but it's been pretty miserable today, but mild, but mild. They've gone Cheltenham crazy around here. There are two bookmakers within walking distance of where I'm based and I I did notice a flurry of activity around them earlier when I was out and about. Cheltenham is on, you see, the Cheltenham Festival. It's when Irish people, Irish horse racing enthusiasts, descend on the UK. Of course, plenty of UK racing fans do attend as well, but the Irish love it and they've loved it for many years. Last year, and maybe the year before, no, just last year, was it? They didn't attend. The festival was held effectively behind closed doors. So if you're into the GGs and Rachel Blackmore, the jockey and all of that, well, you'll have a high old time this week, won't you? Goes on until Thursday afternoon, doesn't it? Or are there races on Friday? I've never been much of a horse racing fan myself. Have I forgotten to do something important now? I might very well have. Hang on. No, I might be okay. Yeah, like I said, it's been um, a a mad afternoon flurry of activity here. And I've just forgotten, but just remembered in time. Have I? No, I don't. I've not done it, have I? Have I got it? Have I got it? Have I got it? I might have it. Yeah. You see, I send files around three, four different computers. And I thought I might have forgotten, but I didn't. The UK media is obsessed today with the British-Iranian woman Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe. She is currently on a plane heading for the UK. She left Iran earlier today after being freed. I think she took a plane to Muscat and then boarded another one heading for the UK. She's been in 
um, one form of detention or another for six years in Iran. They accused her of being a spy. But maybe it had more to do with the fact that the UK, that Britain, owed Iran, dating back to 1979, about £400 million for an order of tanks that was never delivered to the Iranians because the order was made just before the revolution. The revolution and all of that. So she's on her way back home, her and another uh, guy called Anoushe Ashuri. I've butchered that pronunciation. And I was just about to take the piss out of the shadow foreign secretary, David Lammy of Labour, for butchering the name Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe, because he did that several times today. She will be reunited with her husband and seven-year-old daughter. And as I said, the media is full of it this afternoon. Uh, diesel prices are on the rise again in the country, if you happen to, to drive a diesel. As I do, myself, I have a diesel, a Renault Megane, automatic, diesel, yeah. Um, diesel prices rose by an average of more than two pence today as Russia's invasion of Ukraine continues to affect global oil costs. It reached 176 a litre yesterday, up from almost 174 on Monday. That's a big story as well. They're making a lot of mileage, no pun intended, out of that. A lot of Ukraine and Russia news, of course. You won't be surprised. Peace talks continue. And the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, addressed Congress today via video link. He's doing a bit of a world tour of national parliaments via video link, appealing for no-fly zones and appealing to the better nature Good luck with that of national parliamentary members of parliament. He invoked Martin Luther King, John F. Kennedy, and even September the 11th this afternoon did the Ukrainian president. That's um, enough of that for the moment. And I've written about this today on my website. <clears throat> Excuse me, I've been talking quite a bit, about, quite a lot about this lately. Uh, not so much cancel culture but guilt by association the banning of people or the censoring of people or even the the sanctioning of people just because they're from Russia or they allegedly know someone in Russia uh, Daniel Medvedev you might know is the current world number one tennis player he achieved that because effectively because Novak Djokovic was banned from playing in the Australian Open back in January. So Medvedev ascended when he took the number one spot. Now he's been told that in all likelihood he will be banned from playing Wimbledon this summer unless he denounces the Russian president Vladimir Putin. It's just the Telegraph picked this up today. The sports minister, Nigel Huddleston, said that discussions were taking place with the All England Club about preventing supporters of Putin entering the tournament. Right, so this is McCarthyism. I've talked about this a lot and written about it. This idea that, well, Daniel Medvedev, he's, he's Russian, right? So he probably supports Putin, right? So let's ban him from playing in Wimbledon. So sanctions have been imposed on sportsmen and women uh, from Russia and Belarus 
Namely, they've had to play under a neutral banner. So that's not really sanctioning them. The sports federations of Russia and Belarus have been sanctioned that way. But, but as athletes and individuals have so far been allowed to continue to compete, but as neutrals, including Medvedev. But this guy Huddleston, Nigel Huddleston, speaking to the Digital Culture Media and Sport Select Committee, he said it needs to go beyond that needs to go beyond that. It's not good enough to strip them of their national colours and force them to compete as basically non-state individual people. We might need to go further. He says we might need some potential assurance that they are not supporters of Vladimir Putin and we're considering what requirements we may need to try and get such assurances. So he was asked, would they be required to denounce Putin. And he said that these discussions were ongoing. Can you imagine? The likes of this to tell a player, a sportsman, an athlete, hey, listen, you've got to make some public denouncing, uh, some statement, some, as they would say in Spain, denuncia. You've got to come out and publicly disassociate yourself from your president and the actions of your country. And if you don't do that, well you won't be allowed to play. This guy Huddleston, the sports minister, said we might need to get some sort of broad global consensus on this. Now, this would set a precedent, not just in sport, really. Now, I know you're going to say, Richie, this has been going on in one form or another since the dawn of social media. Yes, it has. I know that. But this would be the first time that a country or countries would, would would seek to kind of make it official, to set an official precedent that an individual would have to express an opinion that is acceptable to the country he wishes to play or she wishes to play sport in. And failure to do that would result in you being denied access to the tournament or tournaments in such a country. It's a sickening thing, really. And the ATP, which governs the men's, which is the men's tennis tour, they should really stand behind their players and tell the UK government basically to fuck off and any other government that they won't allow those governments to to use players as puppets in their propaganda wars against Russia or anyone else, be it Iran, be it Syria, be it North Korea, be it anywhere. And I asked the question today, and I know it's probably boring of me to repeat it over and over again, but I think it's hugely important. If a government can get away with that, setting such a precedent, you know, will ban this athlete unless he publicly swears allegiance to us, to our policies, and denounces his own country and his own government. If he doesn't do that, he doesn't get to participate. If they do it to Medvedev, they'll do it to you and me in the future. You might be. I've said this so many times over the last few years. You might be required to make a series of affirmations to to get a job. Don't laugh. I can see it happening in the future. You go for a job interview and you might be asked to express your opinion on a series, um, on, on, on a number of things, maybe geo, geopolitical events, maybe. 
Who knows? Staggering stuff, I know it's a cliche, staggering, but it is. You know, do you believe that the world faces a serious threat from climate change? What do you think of that? You know, you're applying for a job, a part-time job in a fish and chip shop. What do you think of um, the idea that someone can be born in the wrong body? Not an awful leap, really, when you see some of the things that are going on at the moment, in the world at the moment, around censorship and uh, guilt by association. I find it, I find it amazing, really. This morning, um, as he was setting off to Riyadh in Saudi Arabia, the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson was asked a series of gentle questions about the Saudi Arabian regime, which is a despotic, filthy regime. And Mohammed bin Salman, the Crown Prince, a, a murderer, a thug, again, again, a despot. 81 people beheaded last weekend. You're not talking murderers now, or rapists, for sedition and stuff like that, for homosexuality, chopping people's heads off. They, they asked Johnson, you know, Johnson said, oh, I've raised these issues with the Saudis in the past, and I promise I will raise them with the Saudis in the future. But, 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 says Johnson, and this is the part I found very interesting, these are not our values. These are not our values. In other words, we can go and speak to the Saudis. You don't get to taint us. You don't get to cast judgment on us for going and dealing with the Saudis. Now, this is rank hypocrisy by the government of the day, which seeks to rob, to pilfer, to plunder the wealth of Russian businessmen and women just because they come from Russia or just because they may have done business with Vladimir Putin in the past. It's unbelievably hypocritical, but not a dicky bird from the media today. And here's the United States today getting caught telling whoppers of lies. Whoppers, you know, double whoppers with bacon, cheese and gherkins, extra large fries, massive lies. The US Embassy in Ukraine told a whopper of a lie earlier on it said that Russian soldiers had killed 10 Ukrainians while they were queuing for bread in the northern city of Cherniv. This was horse shit. But they put it out there anyway. They tweeted it. They said, people queuing for bread, unarmed, misfortunates, civilians, they were gunned down in a hail of bullets by psychotic Russian soldiers. They said this was horrific. But yet it didn't happen. Didn't happen. They said today, Russian forces shot and killed 10 people standing in line for bread in Cherniv. Bullshit. Such hor horrific attacks must stop. They, they said, we are considering all available options to ensure, ensure accountability for any atrocity in Ukraine. Now, they gave no evidence at the time to support this allegation that people queuing for food were mown down Riddled with bullets by Russian soldiers. Bullshit. What they did do was they put out a photograph of bodies lying on a street near a housing estate in Cherniv. But CNN came out and said, to its credit now, we don't often credit CNN, 
that uh, they had geolocated that footage and the 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 those who died or pictured those who were pictured in the photograph had not died due to any shooting and that they certainly weren't queuing for any bread it's just bullshit the propaganda war and you'll know if you listen to yesterday's program the media in this country and the government are going after academics in UK universities who are pointing out these inconsistencies and some of the lies being tweeted by the United States, not just the embassy in Ukraine, but the US media, the media here, and for pointing out these inconsistencies, these anomalies, and the fact that a lot of these claims just don't add up. They're going after these guys. Again, it's McCarthyism talked about it yesterday. This is the Richie Allen Show for Wednesday. Thanks for joining me. John Waters will be with me in around about 10 or 12 minutes' time. If there's anything you'd like me to put to John, please reach me through the website richieallen.co.uk. That is richieallen.co.uk. What else is there for me to tell you this afternoon? Uh, Let's have a look. It's been alleged that Russia has bombed a theatre in the Ukrainian city of Mariupol, where apparently hundreds of civilians were sheltering. This is breaking, according to the BBC. Again, you'll have to take this with a massive pinch of salt, that the Russians bombed a theatre where hundreds of civilians were sheltering. The BBC is reporting that uh, right now. Uh, Boris Johnson has been speaking from Saudi Arabia about the Russian-Ukraine situation, uh, speaking to the BBC. We can have a little bit of a listen to that, and then we'll move away from Ukraine momentarily. See if I can bring you that audio now. Yes, I'm on the fly today. I think the reality is that in one important sense, Putin has already failed. In, the, in that he did not understand what he would encounter when he sent He's his still troops bombing into, Ukrainian men, women into, and children. into Ukraine. He didn't understand the strength of their, of their resistance. And what he's doing is, in my view, committing a series of war crimes. He's doing something the like of which we haven't seen in, uh, in our European continent for 80 years, right? Not since the, uh, since the Third Reich, not since the Second World War. That's the reality of what's happening in, in Ukraine. And it is appalling. And yes, of course, we all want to do more. And we feel the, the agony of the, of, of the Ukrainians. And that's why the UK has been uh, one of the biggest donors of, uh, of military assistance, uh, one of the biggest donors of, uh, of humanitarian assistance. And why I think we've sanctioned more individuals and entities now than, than anybody else. We will con- and we will continue to do more, uh, believe me. But I think that the... Uh, what Putin needs to realize is that he cannot now succeed. He won't be able to crush and conquer Ukraine because they've shown fundamentally that they have an indomitable spirit. So there's, he's got to withdraw. He's got to close this thing down. He's got to take back his, uh, his tanks and, and his armor. And there's got to be a, a solution that respects the will of the, of the Ukrainian people. And that's what the, the UK will support. Johnson speaking with uh, BBC's outgoing political editor, Laura Kunzberg, there. Yeah, apparently over 120,000 families here in the UK have attempted to sign up to this Homes for Ukrainians scheme where 
a, a family with some with some space with a spare room or two would go on social media look to see look to find a Ukrainian refugee or refugees make contact with them on social media and then inform the government that they've um, invited them to come and stay they're alleging 120,000 have signed up to this already I don't know I don't know what to make of it. You can tell me. It's richieallen.co.uk. Comment live at the top of the page. In fact, I'll read some of your comments now. Don't forget John Waters, my guest, will be with me uh, in a few minutes' time for an extended conversation, not just about attempts to, you know, to appeal against the ruling that denied John Waters and Gemma O'Doherty the right to challenge the legality of lockdowns in Ireland. We won't just talk about that, we'll talk about plenty more. Abdel says, schools, hospitals and now theatres, bloody hell, the Russian artillery must have the worst targeting systems in the world. Thank you for that, Abdel. Uh, Hank says, the big day at Cheltenham is Friday, not Thursday. This is the Gold Cup day, says Hank. Thank you, Hank. Patricia says, the hypocrisy of the American government criticising any country for killing innocent civilians is off the charts. That's right, Patricia. The problem is, Patricia, whether it's CNN, BBC, Sky, Channel 4, presenters, reporters, journalists never put these questions to the likes of Johnson, the likes of Biden, the likes of the White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, they don't put these questions to them. They don't say, well, you imposed a no-fly zone over Libya. Tens of thousands were killed. Uh, it, it, it emerged through a UK government inquiry into the farce that was Libya, which resulted in the death of Colonel Muammar Gaddafi. Um, it emerged that basically you embarked on that adventure based on a pack of lies. They, they never question any of these people. And, and, and that's, you know, this is basic 101. I, I shouldn't be saying this. But but that's basically, they, they get. this is how they get away with it. It's not how they get away with it. It's one of the things. It's one of the, um, I suppose it's one of the, uh, I shut up Richie and get on with it. Keane says, Richie, this is subconscious priming of the masses to accept a government narrative propaganda, otherwise you will be punished. For example, vaccination to protect the collective. He's referring to the news that Daniel Medvedev, the tennis player, might be compelled, might be coerced into making some public proclamation of disgust with his country and his president and failing to do so may result in him being banned from Wimbledon and maybe other tournaments. Which he says things are getting worse because nobody is opposing these corrupt criminals within our institutions. People still reading and listening to the mainstream. Unless we stand up to these tyrants, it will get much worse. My grandchildren will not stand a chance. And I don't say this now to be sarcastic. I, I genuinely want to know, to know this witchy. How should people stand up to these tyrants? This is the question. I've been asking this question for many, many years. How should people stand up to Boris Johnson and Liz Truss and Keir Starmer and Angela Rayner? How should they do that? Should they mass in, in town centres, wave placards around, sing songs and, and, and march behind 
mounted policemen and women? Or what should they do? What should people do? Because it's only going to get worse from here. There are people who have been on this programme who tell me privately, I, I don't mean they're telling me privately anything they haven't said publicly, but they tell me in you know, off-the-cuff conversations on Skype during the day and stuff, people might look back at 2021 and 2022 and think those were the good old days, the way things are going at the moment. So what should people do? What is the solution? I ask this year in, year out, week in, week out, what is the solution? Because going to see the heroes of the Trucer Industrial Complex at gatherings or at venues is not the answer. It is what is expected of us. Marching is what is expected of us. It's planned for. It's in the ledger. So what do we do? Seamus says, doesn't FIFA pride itself in remaining neutral in matters of politics and religion? And yet hasn't Russia been ostracised from all things soccer? Sport is the circus in bread and circuses, argues Seamus. Thank you, Seamus. That's a good point. Kelly says, all my friends who see through the agenda grew up reading dystopian science fiction novels, but you'd think people who knew a little bit about history would notice the tyranny. How strange uh, it is makes me question the nature of reality. Ike was right. This is some crazy matrix, maybe a collective nightmare. It's all very strange. Indeed. And it's planned to get worse, isn't it? It's 26 minutes past the hour. Time for a song. Here's Dr. Hook. When I come back, John Waters will be with me. He's a terrific guy. You don't want to miss him. Comments to comment live on richieallen.co.uk. Ah, it's good to be with you. Busy old Wednesday with technical stuff and all of that going on, but uh, improvise, adapt and overcome. A motto for the ages. John Waters next. Welcome to the Richie Allen Show. I know it's very satirical. I know it's very satirical. But it's a very controlling song. It's satirical, of course. Watch your friends. Watch her phone. <laughs> Open her mail. Welcome back to the Richie Allen Show. Hi to my mate Christine in Limavady. I was just going to read out Christine's message and then I lost the bloody thing. I'm having one of those days. The old voice has held up well though, hasn't it? I've had a rotten, raw, sore throat for the last three, four days. I thought the voice would disappear, but it hasn't. It hasn't. There's a lovely old gypsy lady who lives down the road in a caravan just behind Salford Rugby League Stadium. She's got these great um, natural homeopathic cures, so I go and see her every now and then. She's a bit dangerous, though, so I don't go and see her too often. Um, Christine says, Richie, have any of your listeners heard allegations that Saudi Arabia are interested or could be looking into buying Chelsea? Well, Chelsea is now for sale. Uh, a guy called Nick Candy, I think, is leading the the pack of 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 potential bidders, or he's one of the favourites. An American billionaire is also being mentioned. And yes, a media company in Saudi Arabia were rumoured to be making a bid, but I don't imagine that's going to happen. But uh, interesting one, Christine. Thanks for that. Thank you. Now, let's get John Waters back on the programme. It's about time. Love John. Love listening to him, as do you. 
Uh, everyone I know back home has been following this with huge interest. Let me read you from the journal.ie very briefly. The Supreme Court has reserved its decision in an appeal brought by Gemma O'Doherty and John Waters against the dismissal of their challenge of the constitutionality of laws introduced in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Their appeal is against a decision by the High Court, later upheld by the Court of Appeal, not to grant them permission to bring their action against the measures on the basis it was misconceived and entirely without merit. Following the conclusion of submissions from the two applicants and the state today, yesterday, Chief Justice Donald O'Donnell said the court was reserving its decision and would give judgment at a later date. I'm delighted to welcome back to the show a friend of ours, brilliant writer, journalist and broadcaster. It's uh, our very own John Waters. John Diagwit, welcome back. How are you? And he should be there. But he's not there. John, I wonder, have you, by any chance, accidentally muted your microphone? It does happen from time to time. If you want to check on that, he's definitely there, but we can't hear him. So what I'll do is I'll drag out another bit of music and we'll see, we'll see, can we get him back on? No, no, he's not. He's, he's there, but he isn't there. Mercury must be in retrograde again. Every time I say that, I get, I get some, I get some critical emails. People saying you shouldn't take the piss out of that, Richie. Uh, no, I can't hear John, and I don't think he can hear me, so we're going to have to do something about that very, very quickly. While I get him back, while I get him back, the call back, let's see. Ah, hang on a second now. 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 Ah, he might be there now. Are you there, John? Hello, Richie. Ah, thanks be to God you're there. I don't know what yeah. happened there, but, but you're there. How- how are you? I'm 100%. Thanks. Yeah, I'm just musing as to what happened there. You know, you know, you know, lovers of astrology, they they say when communications are difficult, they say that Mercury is in retrograde, John. Now, I have no idea what any of that means, but, but that's what they what they say. This was a well, big deal. Sorry, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I, as regards to technology, I, I never expected to work. It always surprises me when it does. So I'm, I'm not at all surprised when it doesn't, you know. It, it it's like seems to be the normative condition for technology not to work. That's my experience of it anyway. You and I, but, I reckon, might be amongst the last people on planet Earth that used quarter-inch tape reel-to-reel Tascam machines <laughs> in conducting interviews, because I did. I do miss the old cassettes, you know, yeah. uh, Richie, you know, going around in the car with the with the, the cassette player up on the dashboard, you know. God be with and, the days. And and you could just kind of hear the, the high treble notes, you know, <laughs> that was enough. That was Well, that was enough for you then to go and transcribe <laughs> and to write yeah. an article. But I actually had to actually physically do the old, with the little razor blade, cut the tape where you wanted to leave out any flannel and then reconnect the tape back together. I had to learn to do all of that. It's a, it's a skill that's no longer uh, needed. It's brilliant to have no, you back. That sorry. was a big deal yesterday and it, it did get coverage. It, it, Go ahead. It was. It was, Richie, because when you actually, when you consider what you just read out there, you know, that the, the, the Court of Appeal uh, said that the case was without merit. And then the Supreme Court, we appealed to the Supreme Court and they immediately said, well, not immediately, but they said, well, actually, it has merit, and and you know you raise very important issues, and uh, now uh, the, the the this is a hard fought battle because we're basically fighting the state at its most kind of uh, pedantic and you know desperate, 
because really what they're looking for is any kind of a little tiny technicality to, to, to put us out on. And it's very much like, as I said to the, to the, to the court yesterday, there were seven judges. And I said to them, I said, you know, this is kind of like a game of gotcha. And I don't know if there is a game of gotcha, but you know what I mean, Richie? That it's yeah. like almost like those games you play as kids, like like off ground tag, you know. And you had to stand on one leg and touch the wall with only your little finger, otherwise you were got, you know. And it's very much like that, that kind of thing. That that you know, aha, you see, got you there. You didn't put in the, you didn't put the the dot on that eye. Or you didn't tell us that this was Ireland we were talking about. Something like that. It's of that level of triviality. I'll give you a concrete example. They keep going on about this concept of arguability, right? And they're saying that our case is not arguable. And I'm saying it's perfectly arguable because I'm a citizen of Ireland. I can read the Constitution. It tells me I have the right to walk down the street if I'm stopped by a garden and told to go home because I haven't got a reasonable excuse and I'm not sick. That's a breach of my constitutional rights. That's the end of it, Richie. We're in then, right? Yeah. Now, their proposal, their idea, the, 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 the court was very interesting. I'll tell you a little bit about it in a while, but they, there was a lot of questioning back and forth, as we discovered yesterday. But at one point, the, the counsel for the, uh, the barrister for the, the state was asked, well, can you give me an example of what an arguable case would be? And I swear to God, Richie, this is what he proposed, that we would have gone in and said that as an alternative, we would have proposed an alternative measure of uh, set of measures to what the government actually put in place. In other words, that we would have kind of done a lesser form of tyranny. Do you remember Guinness Light? Years ago, Richie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, it, 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 you know, remember yeah. that they had this Guinness light and was on, and the slogan was, "They said it couldn't be done." Well, they were right. Do you remember that? I do that remember. Just, now, this was a tyranny light. That's what the other side was proposing. That myself and Jim would have gone to the to the to the court and said, "Listen, we're we're only kind of low level tyrants, you know." We only want to lock, to lock people up a little bit. We only want to abuse their rights a little bit. Or, you know, less than the government anyway. That was the level of absolute nonsense that was coming out can of you confirm? Can you confirm what I've just heard from you? Because my head is spinning. The other side representing the government. Yes. Th- they said that John and Gemma didn't have an arguable case. If they did, John and Gemma would have come in with an alternative, with a, a lockdown light the- alternative. They were given this as an example. And Unbelievable. It's the only example that they could come up with. Wow. Like when they were pushed by several of the judges on the bench. Now, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, like, you see, there's a very interesting thing here. I won't go into the technicalities of it, but in, in general, in principle, the problem here is that the generality of cases that are taken against the, you know, to defend the Constitution or to defend constitutional rights tend to be individual uh, plaintiffs, or indeed a, co- a group of plaintiffs, uh, a, a, taking up a particular grievance as a result of some law or other, right? So it would be somebody who had some issue with the law that had infringed on their individual constitutional rights, and they would generally take that by way of what's called plen- plenary summons, where they would actually have the possibility of getting damages at the end, right? Now, our case was not in principle like that. It was a very unusual case. In fact, I would say it was a unique case in the history of the Constitution, which has been there for, I think, 80, 85 years now, uh, or something of that order. Yeah, 85 years. It's that we were actually going as citizens we were taking a public interest case and we were looking for a judicial review specifically stating because, and there's a very good reason for this, Richie, as you'll understand. 
First of all, it was an urgent case. We wanted to get it into court within weeks because of the situation that the country was facing. We wanted it to be public interest. But above all, we did not want the media, who were totally hostile and state-sponsored and malevolent towards us from the beginning, to be able to say that we were doing this for damages. We didn't want damages. We wanted to fight the issue. And for that reason, our case was different. And then for that reason also, you know, we were not particularly emphasizing any personal loss or damage to ourselves. In the first place, it was very early days. What we were, what we were emphasizing was that we were citizens and we believed we had the right to walk the streets. And that ought to, be have enough, to have been enough. They were stopping us walking the street. They were saying to us, you can't leave your house unless you have a reasonable excuse. And if you, the guard doesn't like your excuse, you have to go home again. Like, you know, so this, I, see, Richie, I look back on this now. This is, we're two years down the road nearly. And I actually, I swear to God, I actually wake up some days and I start thinking about this and I think, did that really happen? Did they really do that? I can't believe they did that. Because while it's going on, there's a certain aura or air of normalization about it. You know, it's there and you have to deal with it, you know. But then you think, but sure, that's impossible. This is a democracy. We have a constitution. Our rights are paramount. How could they possibly do that? And particularly when it was not the Black Plague. And so even if it was. Even if it was, Richie, yeah. well, that's, that came up and I was asked yeah. that question. And I said, well, OK, yeah, it, there would be, the, the one the judges asked me, was there any situation where I would say that these kind of measures are anything? I said, well, I, I don't think lockdown is, measure, is, is a measure in, uh, that is appropriate at all. But if you're asking me if, 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 if the Constitution could be suspended temporarily in some instances if to, for something really grievous, well, I, I can't rule it out. I'd say theoretically, yes, but I wouldn't like to see it happen. You know, and, and there's a very interesting analogy about this that was put, done by a judge uh, some years ago. He's dead now, Adrian Hardyman. He was on the Supreme Court. And he, he, this came up in a case of, in a very kind of weird way, kind of eccentric way. But it was, it was a, 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 a case about, you know, a, a fallout from the last economic uh, financial crisis and all that. But he, he was, it came up in this case and he said, yes, the state can encroach on your rights temporarily. Now, and the analogy he gave was, look, if there's a fire, and the fire, the flames are out coming out the side window of, your, of a house and the brigade, fire brigade arrive. And the only way they can get to the fire is to put their uh, ladder into the, into the garden of the neighbor and the neighbor isn't home. They do not need to apply to the high court for permission no. to put the ladder in. But they put the ladder in, they put the fire out and they take the ladder out again. And that's that. Now, our, the ladder has been on our lawn for two years. And it's still there, despite what people say, you know, we know it's there because these politicians never stop telling us something that is actually impossible to say, that there'll be another wave next year. Not in the history of viruses or bacterial flus or anything like that. Have they, has anybody ever been able to predict when another no. wave or if another wave would come? This is you know, set up. It is coming. They're going to do it again next year. You so really believe that, yeah. Because variants, you make a very good point there. Historically, and I've really looked into this, variants of any infection always scale down. They don't get worse. They, they get do. much, much, much more mild. They do. Yeah. Yes, that's true. That's right. And But, you know, 
this is quite uh, extraordinary. And I mean, like, you see, the trouble with the court process, uh, well, you know, it's part of the nature of it. But, you know, from the layperson's point of view, it's very frustrating because you're inclined to speak passionately about issues like this. And this doesn't go down at all well in court. They want you to keep it very dry and kind of, you know, technical and argue legal points. And if you cross over, they accuse you of, of speaking rhetorically. You're speaking, you're making speeches, Mr. Waters, you know, again, you're, you're becoming rhetorical, you know. And I said, well, what else would you do in these circumstances? I said, well, you know, we're, we're trying to defend the constitution that we inherited to make sure that it's fit for our children to live in the country with. You know, like, can we have a serious conversation about this? Now, I have to say, you know, I mean, the people on the court, I say, were very civil. I've been in courtrooms, uh, and as I'm sure you, Richie, have, and you've seen very obnoxious judges. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, these people were not in anything like that. They were very civil, decent people, you know. Uh, but I was quite very interested to get in, you know, because, you know, and this is the, the this last process of this. There, there are several process, uh, layers of this procedure. We had to put in written submissions first. Then there was a whole lot of uh, stuff about we had case management hearings and then we had to prepare booklets and we had to cooperate with the other side in doing that. And that was grand. It was a bit of to and fro and all that. And then there was a set of further inquiries from the court, which we had to answer. And then finally, you, you're, you're going in and you're supposed to do what they call your oral submissions. Right. And I spent like two weeks working on these here and and, and working with Gemma and, and all that. And and. Uh, 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 writing it all up and rewriting it and thinking oh, maybe that's too much and maybe that's wrong I'll, and take tearing it up and writing it again. And then I go into court and I, it's because I'm not quite clear in my head exactly what does it mean oral submissions like, you know, and I'll tell you what oral submissions means, Richie. It means essentially an ambush, right? You know, you go in and you get into the third or fourth sentence and they interrupt you and that's right. that then. That's, that's the end of your, your speech, right? Because you're, you're on your feet all the time answering questions. But in fairness, they did it to both sides and, you know, the question, I mean, you, you know, they did a good, you could see they were actually seriously engaging with the issues and so on. And they were trying to solve problems or issues that clarify for themselves things that I don't, I don't know the answer to. Like, you know, because what do you do in a situation like this where you're simply waking up and saying, look, there's a bunch of guards outside my window stopping cars. You know, I don't want to be telling them where I'm going. It's none of their business. Yeah. And 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 I don't want to have this, you know, feeling in my, my my the pit of my stomach every time I walk down the street, or whatever, you know. I don't want to be thinking, can people come to my house? Can I go and visit my grandmother? You know, whatever. Uh, 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 and so, that that's the basis of our case. It never happened before, Richie, in the history of the state, never, and nor any state that I know of in the Western world, in in in, a, in the free world, as no. it used to be called. This is history, this. Let me just remind our listeners, not that they're stupid, they don't need reminding, but I'm going to tell them anyway. This is historic stuff. John Waters, um, journalist, author, broadcaster, and Gemma O'Doherty argued before the Supreme Court of Ireland yesterday. This is historic stuff because the High Court had said that John and Gemma didn't have any right to argue against the introduction of COVID measures. They said you don't have any right to uh, bring action against those measures. And John and Gemma said, we'll see about that. And they've taken it to the Supreme Court. This is, it's astounding stuff. I mean, I would have, I would, would have given anything to be able to sit in there, quiet as a mouse, and listened to all of that yesterday. I'm delighted to hear that these people took you seriously, respected you, and interrupted the other side as much as yeah. they interrupted you. 
I really am. I mean, this this is massive. No, no. And and I'll tell you another thing. You know that we had quite a lot of our followers coming. You know, and 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 that, and we were concerned that the court wasn't obviously these courtrooms are not big. You know, and, yeah. Uh, during the COVID thing, virtually nobody was let in. In fact, you know, and we we really railed against that right throughout the process because there were you know no members of the public were being allowed in, which is a complete breach of Article Thirty Four of the Irish Constitution, because courts are supposed to happen in public. You know, that means the door of the court must be open. But COVID, 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 and there was posters festooned in every courtroom we were in, you know, and every second seat was plastered with a poster and you couldn't sit on it. But yesterday, uh, a very kind usher there, you know, working with one of our people, there was, you know, whatever number of people there, they actually did relays of people half an hour at a time and allowed people to go into the court, our crowd, you know, and spend half an hour there and see a certain amount of the thing. And I thought it was a very beautiful thing, you know. And it, I have to say, we've had a terrible sense in the first period that the High Court and the Court of Appeal, that, that we were met with absolutely obnoxiousness all the time from from the judges, from the, the, the registrars, from the staff, from everybody. We were like treated like enemies of the state. But since we went to the Supreme Court level, I have to really say, you know, and I mean, Gemma mightn't agree with me. She doesn't like me praising these <laughs> fellas at all, you know, and fair, you know, fair yeah. enough. Uh, you know, I, we're, we're supposed to be, you know, fighting the system and all that. But nevertheless, fair is fair. Like they, they were really courteous and, and, and did everything they could to, to, to be, you know, be, be reasonable with us. And we did it also with them because we haven't ever done otherwise. Uh, so, it, you know, at that level, it was a, a satisfactory experience. And, and uh, but I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I couldn't tell you. I, I, I didn't, I felt a bit, you know yourself, Richie, when you're, when you, you never do as well as you want to. You know what I mean? You, 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 you in any situation, very rarely, unless you get score a hat trick in a match or whatever it is, you, you very rarely come off the pitch thinking, well, I did every single thing. I, you know, because when you're when you're actually under pressure like that and you're feeling, well, I've had all this, I've all this preparation done, and they're asking me questions now, which I've actually answered in my script, but could you wait? And you can't be saying that to Supreme Court judges, you know, could yeah. you wait until, you know. So so in that sense, you lose your track and you say, well, okay, I'll, I'll fight the battle. I have an hour and a half. I'll keep, I'll keep, keep, keep running and, and keep, uh, you know, uh, chasing the ball. Uh, I'm sure you played a blinder. I'm not patronising you. I'm sure you played a blinder. Fanula Murphy met you yesterday and wants me yes. to, to, to mention that and to say hello to you and thank you and if you if you go onto my website and uh, even the facebook the amount of people irish people and others who are saying thanks for 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 this dogged determination not to let this go and to take it before the supreme court you're not one for that soft talk i'm guessing in the in the time i've known you you're not doing this for any um adulation you're certainly not doing it for any attention no. but you're doing oh, a no. remarkable thing no. both of you it's a remarkable well, you know, thing you know uh, richie i mean this is the funny thing in, in one of the the last sets of correspondences between the other side we, you know and our and then the court you know there was this kind of or it was actually in the in their responses to our submission to our written submissions and they were hypothesizing about why we were doing this you know uh, because you know we were offered by the supreme court free pro bono lawyers to be appointed by the court now we we took this view richie here was that look there are 20000 solicitors in ireland registered and 2000 registered barristers with the bar council and not one of them stood up and did what we did 
We thought they would. I certainly did. I thought that we'd be killed in the rush and that we'd be trampled. There would be so many applications of this kind going through in, in back in April of, of 2020. There were none others. There were no others. And for that reason, in the first instance, and, and then, you see, when we saw all this stuff inside in the system, it was like the entire system was not alone totally behind it, but actually, you know, they weren't just obeying it. They were totally with it. And, and, and that was very dismaying. And I said this to the court yesterday, when we went in, I think I said this to you before, like, when we saw all these posters on the court, I, that, that, you know, I, was, I said to the, to the court, I said, you know, it's like if I was in a charge of murder and I walked into this courtroom and, and there was a big poster on the wall, oh, there was a picture of me on it, and wanted, waters, murder, one. It's the same thing. I said, it's prejudicial. You, 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 this is the difficulty with this case that you know that it has the, the propaganda is ubiquitous. Now the thing is, then out, out of this, the, the, the other side were speculating. Well, why did they not take up the offer of free lawyers? Which people would say, well, God, that's that's very good. But the problem is, Richie, you would have no control. No, you know, you, we know that once they that would have took sp- over, they would have spoken yesterday where you and Gemma spoke. They would have made. Yeah, the, yeah you're absolutely yeah. right. And they, absolutely and they would right. tell you, no, I won't make that case for you. Yeah, or no, 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 that's not the way we see it. That's the way lawyers are. They will never make an argument to a court that they don't necessarily believe in themselves. And we didn't know any lawyers who believed in the things we believed about this. So we said, OK, we've done it so far. We'll go the next round. It's not easy. And, and but the thing is, like, I found that funny because I, I was actually I was on my mind that if it came up, what I was going to say to the court was, you know, if I'd been offered a choice uh, this morning at nine o'clock, to go into the court as planned or go on my holidays to Kiev, I'd be on the plane. Right. That's yeah. how, that's, because I, I tell you something, it, it's the stress of it, you see. Yeah. It's, it's the absolute stress that you feel in a place like that. Uh, because obviously there's a lot of pressure on you to get well, there's it there's so right. much at stake, you see. There's yes, so much invested right. in it, absolutely. And, and it's easy to, it's easy to slip up and, and give the, Give, you know, throw it away in, in by saying something that is, I've seen this before, I've watched it, you know, because, you know, as a lay person, you know, look, people say, well, I, I know about the law. I know a certain amount, you know, but uh, that's true learning, true experience. But y- y- you could make mistakes and I've seen it and, you know, or you don't see a technical thing. You don't see a technical point. And I've seen it. There was a very good judge, Adrian Hardyman, this judge I mentioned it before. Like he, I've seen him now and he was a very kind of dogged fella on the bench, you know, but he was a great judge. But I've seen him at times like, and, and, and he'd have someone in front of him, a witness or whatever it would be, or even a barrister. And he'd see something in the case that they wouldn't see. And you could see that he was genuinely trying to help them, but they weren't seeing what he was seeing, saying, right. you know. And he'd be getting more and more impatient with them. And and they would think that he was just being ratty. But it was frustration because, you know, and that kind of thing can happen in the heat of the moment. You're missing the obvious thing that they see. And they're actually saying to you, look, you have a better case than you know. You know, and these kind of things can happen. It's comical in some, in some respects. But that's what I mean. It's a stressful All thing. of this was on your mind before you went in. Yeah. Thinking yeah. that, I, you know, I'll miss yeah. an opportunity to say something I, and... Yeah, it'll misread one of the judges. From it. yeah. It'll take me several weeks to, to kind of calm down and, and unwind from it all. Because like, I've been living, eating and drinking enough for like 
two months in this patch, two years altogether. But in this particular phase, we got the right to, to we got the, the, the nod on the 23rd of November. So like that's that's three, nearly four months ago. Like, uh, So we've been living it ever since and trying to, uh, what are we going to do it and yeah. winnowing everything down to get it in because there's all kinds of t- constraints, you know, like word limits and so on and submissions and so on. And, so, and, and like, you know, they could throw things back at you if, if they're not happy. You know, I mean, I did a number of pages uh, from, from textbooks for, you know, as attachments or whatever, as, as uh, exhibits and uh, just threw them back. So they're, they're, they're not, uh, the quality is not good enough, you know, and that's fair enough as well. But I'm, what I'm saying is that, you know, it's, it, it, there, there's, you know, like you want to see the amount of, of paperwork, Richie, you know, we carried in two big boxes with it on a, on a, on a trolley yesterday. And, and, uh, uh, like, funny enough that in the court thing they said you don't actually we end up not using much of it but it has to be there in case one or other judge wants to pick up some point and so there's a lot involved in it you know but fundamentally you see I you know this case is so simple in a way you know I mean the the funny thing is that there have been several applications now for the same thing for the other kind of application the other kind of case that I talked about where it's one person with one grievance and and it's specific and it's you know this is you can make an affidavit about it and just set out the, the core details and that's it that's your case and a lot of those cases went through with it on the nod as we thought ours would go but ours was blocked because why because it was actually going to the fundamentals of all this we were going right to the we were asking the most fundamental questions like there's one article in the Irish Constitution 2833 it says and it makes this impossible, constitutionally impossible. What's Make, makes the lockdown constitutionally impossible. Yes, yeah. it's because what it requires is for an emergency to be declared, there's only one set of conditions, that is war or armed rebellion. And, you know, back in, in 1939, at the time, just before World War Two, this came up for, 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 for discussion. And it was felt at that time by the leader, De Valera, Evan De Valera was the Taoiseach at the time. And it was felt, De Valera felt in particular that this was not, the wording was not quite right for what they were expecting to happen. In other words, a war that didn't involve Ireland directly. And they felt that it was too, it was too precise in that regard and that they needed to change it. And there was a massive discussion that happened out there then among all the civil servants. There's an excellent book, actually, which was written by one of the judges on the the, the, the bench yesterday. Go on. And, and he, he was talking about, like, he describes and he, he produces a correspondence between all the civil servants. And they're, they're, some of them are putting out the idea that, look, we, there's no need for this to be so narrow. We should have the capacity to have other kinds of emergencies included. And this was debated up and down and up and down. And in the end, De Valera said, no, that's not necessary and we're not doing it. And that's the end of it. And indeed, to come back again to Mr. Hardiman, who 10 years ago, the same thing up when he came up before him, he said the same thing under no circumstances. If you want to have to, to spend the Constitution, now you have to have a referendum. But the thing is, they claimed, uh, Richie, well, we didn't use that. When I said, well, then you have no, it's a backstop. You can't just you know, say it's not there because if if it was a situation where they, they, it's not as if they forgot about it. They knew that these possibilities were there and you can't just sort of move 100 yards away and build again without planning permission, you know. Uh, so uh, uh, Hardyman said no, under no circumstances. And I've no doubt about this, that this is 100% 
has to be. The court cannot. I mean, they cannot decide other than that this is actually unconstitutional in my submission. But who knows? Who I mean, knows? I've some of the convoluted reasonings that I've seen coming out of courts in recent years, you know, would make you dizzy to, to read them because it, your brain gets tight and not. You can't the believe that they reached that decision. Let, let me ask you this, because I know nothing of these of these courts. So in the United States, there are nine Supreme Court justices. There are seven, if, if, if we'll call them that, in Ireland. Am I to understand? No, I'm not. I'm, I'm going to ask because I don't know. I'm, I don't know the answer to this. Will will one of the judges write an opinion? Is that how it works in Ireland? Or? Yeah, yeah. Well, in fact, there are nine judges in answer in the panel in the total panel of the Supreme Court. Oh, but is the there? Norm, the, only seven the, in in the actual well, hearing. Well, the, 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 the yeah, hearing usually has either three, five, or seven judges. Ah, this right. was the highest. This is the highest number, and and like that's a really interesting in itself, you know. Uh, but yes, the, well, you know, you you could have any, you could have three, four judges giving judgments. You know, uh, you, you might, it depends. You might even have dissenting judgments, you know, uh, uh, one way or the other, depending. Uh, so it's you could actually, in theory, all seven judges, I don't, I don't think this will happen, but I, I, you could, in theory, all have all seven judges giving ju- individual judgments. Uh, and you might, you would have, might have a, you could have a 4-3, you could have a 5-2, you could have, you know, uh, whatever. So you could have 7-0, 7-0, uh, uh, one way or the other, you know. So uh, that's that's the way it is. But it, it's, it's uh, I have to say, like, that, you know, this in a certain sense, this is this is a very... You know, the, the bizarre thing about it, Richie, is that we're still at the same point as we were at 12 o'clock noon on the 15th of April 2020. We're still waiting. We're start, starting to start the process. But you're because going to get an answer now. The, the thing is, you've done this yesterday, this extraordinary historical thing the two of you have done. And now you've got to wait. They, they said at a later date. So as far as you're, you know, you and Gemma are concerned, that's it really. You know, you well, have to wait. Well, well, no, well, no, you see, well, yes and no. Um, the outcome of this will only be, the best outcome for us will only be that we will get the leave we were denied in the first place. Right. More, more than likely. Now, there is one outside possibility, what I just said there about Article 2833. I would have thought, and I said as much to the, to the court yesterday, that, you know, th- this could decide it straight off without any judicial... Yeah, judgment. that's what I was... Th- that, that was in my mind when I when I just said yeah. what I said, that they might say, look, yeah, yeah it's, it's open and shut, basically. Yeah, it's I, unconstitutional. I put, I put that to them, that yeah. it's there, that they don't need... We don't need to investigate this. It's 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 cut and dried. It's open and shut. It's, it's over. Now, I don't know. Again, they might have all kind of technical reasons for not doing that. And they might, well... That's one option. They might say, okay, well, you're, but you can go and judicially review it and the High Court will decide and then we will walk yeah. it up through the system again. But that's what will have to happen. That's the best outcome. And then, of course, they could shoot us down completely, in which case then we have the option of taking it to Europe. And that's another day's work. Taking it to Europe. I'm, I want to ask you about Ukraine and, and Russia and other things that are happening around that. But but just to finish with um, with, with this case, I'm not being sarcastic. This morning... How many national or commercial radio stations phoned you or Gemma to ask you to come on to talk about what was basically one of the biggest days in Irish jurisprudence history? And I'm not being sensational in saying that. It was. How many phone calls did you get? None. None. Fucking hell. Not one, Richie. Not one. Not one. Uh, no, no. Well, I mean, they know we have no time for them, and they know we're not. You know, that we're well past that point anymore at this stage because they have treated us abominably. Yeah. They have be- been corrupt on at every turn. Uh, 
And I'm not just saying the mainstream media, some of the, the off mainstream ones here, I won't mention them, but like, they were just as bad. Uh, <clears throat> you know, there was an enormous amount of hostility, uh, malevolence and, and jealousy, I would say, that we had actually taken a step that nobody else had taken and took it early. I mean, we took it, as I say, we started this at Easter week in 2020, just when the whole thing was kicking off. And uh, so, no, the, but the, Richie, the, the problem is, and I've said, I've said this repeatedly to the court, one of the big problems with all of this has been that the mainstream media is completely state-sponsored. And people are therefore only getting one side of the, the, the picture. And the consequence of that is that essentially what has happened is that a, a kind of a, a pseudo reality has been constructed around people. It's kind of like a stage set, you know, that that because that's what you when you find you feel people are not seeing the same thing as we're seeing. They're not aware that, that of the things we're aware of. The court yesterday, I, I felt strongly was not aware of some of the things we were saying. I was going to ask this at the outset because when we had a brief text chat today, that's the thing that you mentioned. And this is, hmm. I think this is more than a salient point. This is a really important point. These people don't see where all of this is going. The dystopia. That's where, I mean, we're in dystopia now. They don't, yeah. they don't see it. They don't get it. And you're convinced no. they don't get it. Well, I, I had to point out to them, which is something I've noticed in, in, in right along the way with several cases, and in particular the Simon Dolan case in the UK, yeah. that that the outcome of the judgments in right along the way were, were, were tautological, they were circular. That, you know, yes, these are extreme measures, da, 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 this is unprecedented, yes, and yes, yes, but there was a pandemic. Therefore, the government was entitled to do whatever it wanted to do or whatever it felt was necessary to do. Which, in other words, as it begs the question, it, it, it basically is, is a, you know, it answers the question before it asks it. And, and you know, I said, this, this is the problem here as well. You know, because you could, free, you know, because repeatedly people, even the judges on the bench and, and the, the, the counsel for their side were speaking about, quote unquote, the pandemic as if it were a given. As if it were, and I'm, I said, look, we, you might think so, but we're here to question well, it. Well, what's the point of having a constitution? What's the point well, of having any rules or well, laws? That's what if, I said. I said yeah. we can dis we can shred it if 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 you guys. I saw them at the end. I said it's up to you now. We've reached a fork in the road. Either we're going to have a constitution or we can just shred it, because if this this is a precedent, this is what the founders, the framers of the constitution, were worried about most of all back in 1939 when they did that amendment, and that amendment, by the way, that I spoke about, that was actually done by a vote of the of the the parliament, the Oireachtas, because it was in the three year preliminary period of the in the rolling out of the constitution, so it didn't have to go to the people, but you know that 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 was their greatest fear, that a future government might be given an instrument of tyranny. And I said, here we are, here we are. I said, now the precedent has been set. There is nothing to stop unless you guys actually step in and set down guidelines. Do you give us the, the, the order of unconstitutionality that we asked for? Failing that, that you certainly set limits around what has happened and make commentaries on what, you know, how this, because some of these guys on this panel, uh, and we deliberately use their, their judgments in our submissions, have actually spoken about the language of the constitution because it is all this beautiful language, you know, words like inalienable, imprescriptible, inviolable, indefeasible, which are the strongest words probably in the English language. Yeah. They mean basically you cannot give things up, you cannot take them away. They're absolute, they're inviolable. Your home is inviolable. And yet these politicians have been telling, no, you can only have X and Y numbers of people in your house at any given time. 
you know, and, and I said, this is up to, and these guys have written judgments which concur with our view of that. That's so, amazing. That that's I mean, it that, is. the level of research that you both went into to, to to dig out. I mean, wonderful. You know who the we have an idea who the justices are going to be, and you look into their previous rulings. Brilliant. Not to be sarcastic or to be belligerent, but just to say to them, "Hey, listen, you're actually on our side." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. But you see, this is the interesting thing, Richie, and this is what you run up against, and this is the real danger of legal systems now in the modern era. They have a thing in the courts called the separation of powers, which means that whereas, and people don't often realise this, that the, the judiciary are actually part of the government. In Ireland, that's very much the case. There are three parts of the government. The, the, the parliament, which is we call the Oireachtas in Irish. There's the executive, that's the government itself, and then the judiciary. But those three parts are supposed to be, theoretically anyway, separate, and particularly the judiciary, that it doesn't cross the, 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 it doesn't interfere. And yet it has a supervisory role in, in making sure that the constitution is upheld. And this is a very tricky one for the lay person to get their head around. And there's been a lot of discussion about it in this whole case. But, you know, the, 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 the judiciary, like, they don't like intruding on politicians. And then you think this, how circular that is, because they're all appointed by politicians. That's a real risk, you know. Uh, you know, the the, the the tendency that has happened in recent times about judge, judges that they tend to be in America you see this all the time where everybody assumes that the court is decided that almost there in any any controversial case will be decided on the numbers in the sense that well you have uh, four conservative judges and five uh, or whatever it is five uh, uh, liberal judges that means the liberal side of the argument will always win that's a terrible state of affairs and that's a relatively new thing where judges once they were appointed used to go into their, their whole thing was that they had to learn how to be objective and to take themselves out of the equ equation and decide. And that guy, Hardyman, was really brilliant at that because he was a raven liberal in political terms. You know, he was campaigning on all kinds of things in the, when he was a young fella. But when he was sat in that court, he upheld the constitution better than anybody I've ever seen. He left his own prejudices at the at the front yeah. door or in yeah. his office. And, and I don't yeah. know if that's a kind of now an old-fashioned thing. I don't know. I'm not judging any of these guys, as it were. Uh, I mean, I, I have a lot of respect for these people, and, and in particular for several of them in particular. You know, uh, they're brilliant judges. And, 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 you know, I think decent people, and they have been very courteous and cordial to us, I have to say. And, and are those Much, positions, John, it's lovely to hear that again, that they... You you know, whereas you didn't get that sort of treatment at the Court of Appeal or at the High Court, you mm. did get it at the Supreme Court. Are the, I should know this, I'm embarrassed I don't, but hey, listen, knowledge is mm. power, you're going to empower me now. Are the positions permanent? Are they life positions in, in Ireland? Well, they're permanent. Up to, they do retire at a certain point, you know, right. uh, but they go on quite a long time. I'm not sure what the age limit is, but they certainly go on, you know, uh, and, and, uh, uh, you know, like the, the there's US. no hurry on them to, to go, but they, then they are replaced, you know, and then they're replaced by, by new appointees, you know, and I, I don't personally think that's a very satisfactory system, but I can't think of a better one, you see. I, I don't know, because, uh, you, you know, almost anything you could think of would be, you know, capable of being contaminated in some way, you know, but I, you know, some, but I certainly think it has affected the system at the lower levels very badly. I mean, what happens is generally speaking that in fairness, the better judges, the better minds reach the top for sure, to the very top layer. But down at the lower levels, and, and the lower levels probably go up quite a bit, you know, uh, that's not the case. You have a lot of political hacks 
who were just there because they were good at putting up posters. Right. And and the, as a result, you get very bad decisions and very malevolent judges in many instances. And I've seen a lot of that in my time. You know? Me too. Back in Waterford. God, I could tell yeah. you stories. And you yeah. could tell me even better stories. Let me just yeah. uh, do a quick, it's uh, 10 minutes past six. John Waters. John is one of Ireland's fi- finest columnists. He really is. I'm not just saying that. And uh, authors. He he has uh, yesterday done something historic. Uh, John and Gemma O'Doherty, uh, two years of work, ended up in the Supreme Court because the Court of Appeal and before that the High Court denied John and Gemma the right to bring an argument against the constitutionality or or or, or arguing that the lockdowns were were unconstitutional. Uh, the Supreme Court heard them yesterday. That's an amazing thing. They will reserve their judgment for a later date and I suppose it's it's you're playing the the waiting game now I'm just mindful yeah. of time and, and and there are other things I, I wanted to talk about if there's anything else you want to tell us about yesterday uh, feel free to do that I would like to ask you about some of the um, some of the horrible things that are happening here in this country against academics who are who are criticizing the anti-Russian propaganda? It's astonishing what's happening yeah. here, and some of this stuff where Russian businessmen and women are having their assets seized, and tennis players are being told if they don't make public proclamations against Putin, they might be banned from Wimbledon. All this crazy, scary Orwellian stuff. But if there yes. is if there is something else you wanted to say no, about no, the no, Supreme Court, we covered it reasonably well, Richie. Um, no, I, I'm happy to talk about that. I mean, I. I I, I think this is, again, another symptom of the madness that has erupted in, in Western society, civilization, in the past uh, decade. Or, you know, it's probably been brewing for a long time, much longer than that, but very intensely in the last seven or eight years. And a lot of it has to do, I think, with the collapse of the mainstream media, because everybody now in public life seems to know that they can manipulate the media through power and money. And therefore, there is no answerability now in the way there used to be for, I mean, it's un, absolutely unthinkable that people would be sanctioned just because of nationality, uh, financially and otherwise, and punished in that way. And now, this, not alone is it happening, but people actually defend it and, and they just shrug off any discriticism and, and it just goes on. Like the, the Western leaderships, uh, most of them are insane, but they have just, they are destroying the West. They're actually shooting themselves, not just in both feet, but they're actually putting the gun to our heads now and, and they're about to pull the trigger. Because with these sanctions against Russia, for example, they have created massive problems economically for their own countries, for the West, for Europe and for America, probably for Europe most of all. And uh, uh, they seem to, there's, they're going around in this kind of vainglorious trance, you know, thinking they're heroes when they're absolutely idiots. Um, you know, like, look, uh, Vladimir Putin, Putin is Vladimir Putin, and and you know he's a tough guy, and he's a, I'd say, a pretty ruthless guy, and and but he's the, he he his interest is in protecting his country, and he has a case, and he makes it well that uh, uh, NATO, he doesn't want NATO up on his doorstep, and he that was an agreement they've had going way back, and there's the, the Minsk agreements and so on and so forth, and these have all been breached or have been, you know, just ignored and treated with contempt, and that he had a certain limit. There's all kinds of aspects to that. There also is no doubt about it that this was this was provoked deliberately by the West, by, by America uh, uh, and so on, uh, at this particular time for reasons of their own. 
they wanted to create a bit of a distraction and diversion from what was about to come down the pipe anyway with regard to uh, um, hyperinflation and so on. They've made it far worse now, but now they're attributing it all to Ukraine, you see. And th- this is all a set-up job. Uh, so, uh, I, I, you know, it's it's quite extraordinary the way that it has actually gone seamlessly. The, the kind of what we've talked about before, which is this kind of trance that has you know, being created around the COVID question where people are actually, you know, they're actually numb almost mentally, you know. And and the same thing now, they, they you know, they, they, they have now taken up the, the Ukraine cause in the same way, mindlessly, without actually looking into what's going on. The, 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 the meaning of all these bio, uh, bio labs that have been found there what what is that do we has anybody any interest in that and um, and so on so you know i i i think that uh, uh, i i really you know i shudder when i look at the the people who lead our countries in the west now uh, and i i think that the world is now dividing there was you know in some ways that's a good thing because this globalist project is really dangerous uh, but certainly it's going to happen now that uh, russia china india Iran, all these countries are going to back away into their own corners and will try to cooperate between themselves. But you're going to have a very stark division between the West and those countries, I think, in the not too distant future. And this is like... There That's no a real, can, I, can I jump in there? That's a really interesting analysis because if you're right, and I don't know that you're wrong um, at all, you might very well be right, the, the, the agenda is going to go... On in any case, and in those countries you mentioned, you know, I agree. The the Anglo, as somebody somebody put it to me recently on the program, the 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 US, the Anglo Zionist, if you want to even include Israel's meddling, you know, ha, have done most of the terrible things in terms of invading countries and and killing millions of people and displacing millions more in the last three four decades. No doubt about that. Um, but but for 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 my money. These other countries are not innocent in terms of the way they treat their own populations. Like, I don't see Vladimir Putin's government as, or I didn't see them, as standing up to any of the tyranny of COVID. Not the Chinese either. I mean, the Chinese have gone into almost a total lockdown there again. So if you're right, and these countries, we, we get some kind of a new, much bigger kind of a cold war. The, the citizens of these countries are going to be under the jackboot just as much as we are. If that well, makes any sense, it does. It does, Richie. But I think there's and, and this is all coming. There's a lot of stuff coming out now, Richie, as a result of the discovery of those uh, biowebs, biolabs in in Ukraine. But first of all, I would say yes. Uh, uh, you know, my attitude has been always that about the West and the rest. That you know, okay, America may do some pretty you know mean things and some nasty things down to the years, but in general, you know, you know. They're they're our they're our villains as well. If they're villainous, then they're our villains, and they're protecting our children and our societies and so on. And it's a tough world and so on. But one of the things that I, I out of the last couple of years that really kind of made me sit back was just what we're talking about. That suddenly our own leaders turn on us. Yeah. Right. And at the same time, they don't. As with someone like Trudeau, they don't stop talking up democracy. And it's quite clear to us all now, I think anybody who's sentient, that they have no interest in democracy. So now the question is actually a little more open, like, well, is, is, are they better than Vladimir Putin or Xi Jinping? 
Yeah. Are they really? Like morally, are they? And, and on what basis? So I, I'm kind of looking askance now at the whole thing and saying, okay, well, yeah, maybe. Now, there's another thing here that I think is really, this is a bit controversial, but it's beginning to emerge. Very quite open question now as to the sources of these, uh, of the COVID, so-called SARS-CoV-2 uh, viruses. And uh, I think a lot of stuff has yet to come out about this. And I think that some of the theories that we've heard may not actually stand up. Because there's a lot of very strange patterns when you look very closely at it. And as regards to Russia, for example, what you said about Russia, I, I don't know if that's true. I think, you see, Russia really had a series of outbreaks over the period. But now, if you look, it's had a very serious outbreak in the last month or six weeks, two, two months, right? And then it suddenly stopped. Now, I don't, I don't, this is, there's lots of different theories on this. But one of the theories that I'm hearing increasingly now is that a lot of these, what, what happened here, these pathogens arose out of biolabs all over the world and were placed there by, by malevolent agents. Not just, not, not, just, not just in Wuhan, but elsewhere. Not just, no, well, Wuhan is a different story. But I mean, if you look back to China, how did, the, the, how did that virus go up, burst out in, in China? It came out, it burst out there first in very late October or early November 2019. And I actually came across, there was a report on, on ABC television in April 2020, which cited four different intelligence sources as stating, as confirmed that they were aware of that at the time, right? Now, how would they, would be, how would they have been aware of something that nobody else was aware of? Yeah, yeah. You see, now that question, then Iran had an attack in February that year. Well, how come China and Iran, who are both, you know, not part of the West? Are, the, act, the act so, is of evil, yeah. And there was no connection between the Iranian strain and the COVID, the China strain. And there was no way that it could have been transmitted. And another thing, there's no, in no country that you've, you can identify, there has never been a patient zero. That's a that's really really interesting. Now there are some listening to this who might say, "That's right, John. It's a very good point. No relationship between the strain in Iran or in China, and the timings are incredibly similar." So there are those who believe that COVID is a wag the dog situation; that the virus itself never existed. Well, there's all that. This is the thing. I, I mean, again, you know, we're we're speculating, and I'll be the yeah. first to say that. You know. And, 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 and there's so many different elements and so many different theories and, you know, questions. Was it a wet market? Was it a Wuhan? Was it a bioweapon of someone yeah. else's? And so on. the way I treat this, Richie, if I can say it like this, is I treat it like I try to build an imaginative image of it. And, 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 and I still haven't got mine. So one thing I say is is contingent and, and it's evolving and tentative. But. I kind of treat it like building a dry stone wall, you know, that that you're building your wall and you have a pile of stone around you there and, and you're trying out different stones and some of them fit and some of them don't fit. And the ones you don't fit, you don't throw them away. You leave them to one side and say, well, I'll try that again. Yeah, yeah. And I'm beginning to see more coherence now to, since the, these bioweapons were found in Ukraine. These these, uh, these factories or whatever they would be called these because there's these are all over the place. There's one in Georgia, for example, and they're doing all kinds of experiments on them. And they're you know you know how to to con to convey pathogens via via insects, mosquitoes. And That's so right. On. Yeah, yeah. And and and, and domestic an and domestic animals, and, and yes, all sorts and, of crazy things. Yeah. 
Yes, and they, they're designing pathogens which can actually attack in particular ethnicities, which is a very scary thing. And 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 who's the day? Can I ask you this? John Waters is our guest, and it's twenty one and a half minutes past the hour. Um, the well, day, Richie, you know, I, I'll tell you who they were. It's well, the Americans, right? So, so it's 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 intelligence. It's deep state stuff coming yes. out of America. Yeah. Yes. The theory. The, what I've heard was that that this first attack on China happened in in October twenty nineteen uh, under Trump's leadership. But the theory well, of the people that we're talking it. about, they say Trump didn't even know it was No, happening. he wouldn't have known, no. If it's true, uh, if that theory is, if, if stands that's true, up, yeah. yeah. But the, the thing is, you see, like, they know. I mean, uh, uh, um, that woman Newland from the, the State Department, she she admitted it on the road there recently, that there was bioweapons and that they were, they were involved in all that. And she oversaw the overthrow of Viktor Yanukovych in Ukraine in 2014, yes. Victoria Newland. It's, See, yeah. this is where I come down to, Richie, and Amazing. I come down to this really belatedly, you know, because I've been, you know, I've been out there, I won't go into it now, but I've been out there defending American activities before. Yeah, yeah, when, yeah. In, you know, uh, but I'm really looking now at not just America uh, under Biden, I'm not, and you know, the Obama and all that. I, Trump, I'm, the, my jury's out on Trump. I'd say that I don't want people thinking I'm a Trumper other than totally with Trump on anything. But, but I look at the leaders of the West, I look at Trudeau, I look at Johnson, I look at, you know, uh, uh, Biden, I look at Macron, all these people, and I say, what, what distinguishes them in their behavior from Xi Jinping nothing, right now? Nothing. 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 So, and we may not even know the truth about Xi Jinping no. because everything they tell us is lies. Can I give you my... my I, I began doing shows like this back in 2010, 2009, 2010. And before that, um, a few years break, but before that, commercial and national radio production and presenting. Um, so here's where I am. It's it's amazing I'm saying this to you after all this time that, you know, we've been speaking now for, for a couple of years or just under. I'm, I'm at the point now where I do believe there's a depopulation agenda. I, 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 I don't have a lot of time for people. I, I sympathise with them, but I don't have a lot of time for them. You know, people who try to, to who identify certain communities or certain groups, either ethnic or, or um, uh, said for me, um, or cultural. There are people yeah. who who seek to blame cultural or ethnic groups for it. Like I'll have people who'll phone in the show. And they'll say it's a Jewish conspiracy. Um, no. It's an Israeli conspiracy. It isn't. It's not. No. I don't believe in any no. of that. Um, I'll tell you what I think, and I'll, I'll be very brief with this, even though I'm not being brief. There is an agenda. Um, who or what is controlling it? I'm not able to identify it, but I, I'll tell you what I do believe. I now believe, with no evidence, I have no evidence to back it up, except, um, except uh, what do they, circumstantial. I now believe that the leaders of every country in the world are in on it one way or another. And those leaders have, have never, I believe now, have never made policy decisions that they're given their orders from, from other men or other women, th the names of which we don't know. That's what I've come to believe well, after I, years. I, 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 I'd, I'd nearly go that full distance with you. I certainly, you know, think it's a very real possibility that in effect we're all being took, taken for all being played yeah 
Yeah, uh, but I, I still hold out the hope that there are people within that who are real, uh, even though they may not reveal themselves. Now I don't know who they would. I, I you know, you could talk in terms. You could, you could talk about Trump. You could talk about Putin. You could even talk about G. I don't know. I don't know because who knows? We don't know much about China. You know, internally, most people don't know about it, and generally, the, our culture isn't very well informed about it. But I, 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 I you know, I, I, I'm coming to this slowly as well, Richie. The, the depopulation agenda and all the rest of it, because even yet, I, I am viscerally holding back from that. I do abstractly, intellectually accept that the evidence is overwhelming that something like this is afoot. But I've never met the kind of people who would actually sit in a room and plan something like Me that. Neither. And I therefore can barely believe in their existence. And that's why I always leave room. You see, you're, you're an old school journalist. It's a, it, you're you're honouring the tradition of journalism by saying, yes, I have to accept it, it might be possible. Most journalists today won't. They'll flatly no. dismiss it and they will seek to ridicule. If it's somebody who phones in, they will seek to put them down a ridicule. I don't have any evidence to support this, but years of listening to people like Jim Mars, rest in peace, great Texan writer. Uh, David Icke, David has been vilified, laughed at, mm. mocked, derided. Um, sitting with them, listening to them patiently, and their and and them patiently explaining and wide open to questions, wide open to be stopped. Yes, you know, and say, "Hang on, David, that's absolute bollocks. Tell me why." Wide open and say, "Well, let me explain, Richie." And here's a bit of a document or whatever. So, so that's why if I had to put a fiver on it, I would say we are all being played. But like yourself, I leave lots of room for. I might be wrong, and there might very well be genuine men and women working within the systems, within the matrix, for want of a better word, who might not be um, with it or, or or part of the agenda. Yes, of yes. course, I would leave it open. To yeah, that. well, you see, I'm the same because, like, since this thing started, for example, in the COVID context alone, like the information has been come intentional in bits and pieces, and never has been because of the corruption of the mainstream media and their refusal to do their job. In fact, their their insistence on doing a job which is the antithesis of what they ought to be doing. I mean, in other words, they're lying instead of telling the truth. You know, I mean, the, the alternative to lying is not necessarily that you could simply not say anything. They could shut up their take down their tents and go away. But they insist on staying there, pretending that they're still journalists. And that's a terrifying thing. Yeah. So, like, uh, you know, but, it, you know, I've, I've tried to, you know, as I say, like my dry stone wall, like just keep the stones close. Watch to say, well, just that doesn't fit now, but maybe tomorrow week I'll try it again yeah, in a different place. It might make sense and, then. And, 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 and I, and that's what I think a journalist has to do. You know, it's like, you know, you're in a certain sense, you're like a detective, you know, you're trying to put together this, the case, the book of evidence. And, and sometimes you're going down a path that's wrong, but you have to go down it to find out that it's wrong. And you might, while you're do, going down it, believe in that thesis or that theory and you follow it. And then you get to the bottom and say, well, it doesn't fit. But I'll still recall, I, I'll hold it there and I'll leave it to one side and maybe it'll come back into play. And that's the way I do my work. And I've always done it that way. But journalists, you're right, they don't do that now. They form, you know, they're trained in college. I mean, every, you know, the old saying, you know, they're not taught uh, how to think, they're taught what to think. 
Well, if you know what to think about everything to begin with, you're not going to be any kind of journalist. No, I think the, the, the present company now um, excluded from what I'm about to say. But I think the, the finer journalists I met over the years, their major wasn't journalism. Their major was something else. It might have been... It might have been history, it might have been economics, and they yeah. kind of fell into it. And now I, I don't consider myself to be a great journalist. I'm not. I, I don't fish for compliments. I'm not. Um, but I'm kind of happy that journalism wasn't my major. It wasn't. You know, and I ended up going into it. I was invited into it, into radio, and I worked with some great people. And I think that's probably, that probably helped me not to become like those, well, you know. Well, I, I mean, I can... I can throw into that eh, Richie because I don't have any major Yeah, I didn't go to college I, you did your I apprenticeship to, though well I did yeah but yeah. I, I came up to all kinds of a series I worked in all kinds of jobs before I went into journalism you know yeah. I was a, a, a roadie for a band I was a van driver a post uh, man I was all kinds of things a clerk in an office in the railways you know I was all kinds of things and and that kind of I think that's an essential formation for, for the world uh, because the problem is if you're actually if if you actually receive all your knowledge or the majority of it through book learning, uh, which is not rooted in actual experiential stuff, then it's going to be highly theoretical, and you're going to be trying to make connections between theories as opposed between the theory and reality, and reality and the other theory, you know, and then try to connect them that way in a triangular kind of way. That it's a different thing. You, if you, you think about it like, you know, the old generations, my father and my uncles and my grandmother, like they were very sensible people, but they had zero education virtually. They were very smart people in dealing with the world and in working the world out because a lot of them worked with their hands and they were making things and they saw how the world fitted together. My, my, my father was a trained mechanic and he would apply the same kind of methodology to politics. Like, you know, that, that to work out a problem or to see why something was happening. Yeah. It's a different form of intelligence. And I think that one of the things I've kind of stumbled on when I talked about the pseudo reality, one of the reasons that I think they're, they've been successful with this uh, COVID scam is because of actually the, the, the extent of a, a pseudo form of education where people are highly educated, very highly schooled in particular narrow disciplines, and they're expert at that. But they can't join the dots with other disciplines. Yeah. And the other thing is that when you're in that, you see, in that, if you're, that's your training, you're a sucker for, you know, complicated schemas, explanations, uh, theories about things. And you're a sucker for this kind of so-called pseudoscience, for, for what they call science. Right. And, and you become passionate about it and you become a zealot for it, as opposed to the person who isn't, who is simply like a farmer who says, well, I never had, and I've had experiences of lots of animal viruses, but I've never seen one acting like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? That, that, that person will actually have real hard experience that will say, I don't know, I don't buy it. He mightn't be able to tell you in highly intellectual terms why he doesn't buy it. But he knows that's not the way the world works. And that's what I call intelligence, really deep intelligence. Whereas the other stuff can be fooled because, you know, if something is sounds complicated enough, there's a kind of a pride that comes in being able to understand it or yeah, thinking you understand yeah, it, yeah, you know? Yeah. Putting and yourself you defend above, that to the yeah. death rather than admit you were wrong. That's a brilliant, brilliant um, 
not a theory, but that's a, a wonderful. Yeah, well, let's say it's a theory, your theory of why people are like that. That is fascinating. And I can say yeah. this, in, so I'm in Salford. I'm in a working class housing estate in Waterford, in Salford. I grew up in a housing estate in, in Ballybeg in, in, uh, in Waterford. I'm now living in one in Salford, not far from mm-hmm. Langworthy Road. And the, the, the folks I meet who don't buy it, are older folks who have worked in the flour mills and the factories around Salford, um, most of whom don't know anything about what it is I do. I don't talk about the show. But those are the ones that I've, you know, things are a bit strange, because I'll always say that, you know, things are a bit strange, aren't they? And the ones who say it's nonsense. And maybe, you know, they don't put too many... You, you they don't put too many sentences together to explain why. Yeah, it's it's people who have worked. It's people with life experience, and yes. they, they're like, yeah, no, this yes, is this see, is bollocks. Our, our culture has got to disparage that form of intelligence, but it's a very big mistake because you can overrate the the the, the book learning. You know, like uh, the great Patrick, the great uh, Irish poet Patrick Kavanagh used to have a saying about that. You know, he said that there are two forms of ignorance. One is ignorance of things, you know, and he says that can be cured, he says, uh, you know, by by reading books, he says. But there's another form of ignorance, he says, a different kind, you know, and it's ignorance with. I can't remember what he said, ignorance with or ignorance by. But he says, that's that's incurable, he says, because the more books you read, the worse it gets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I've just been I've just been told by two people. One of them is Jean Ann Crowley, who uh, I'm yeah. very fond of. And another one is, um, is is an email I've just had, um, lamenting the death of the long form interview. When I when I listened to talk radio when I was younger, Irish talk radio, one of the things I loved was when someone like yourself or someone else would would speak on a program, and there wouldn't be any kind of time constraints that you could you, you could flesh out, you know, an idea or a yeah. theory. And of course, the media has destroyed that concept, the long form interview. It's dead. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Uh, Like you think about it, like the whole format now, particularly television, but radio too, is to hector and badger the guest. Yeah. Right. Whereas, and that's one of the great strengths that has emerged paradoxically out of YouTube, where, you know, and and of course, on on radio as well, of course, you know, like channels like yourselves, like like yourself, and and in America, you know, that they kind of, the law, the, the, those kind of in-depth conversations. Well, Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan does it brilliantly Rogan, yeah, on, does, on yeah. Spotify. And, yeah. and, and so like, you know, like when you actually sit in, it's an amazing thing with you, you know, I know this from my own experience of it like that. You sit into, when you get to like the style of a presenter like that, God, it's a wonderful feeling because you're sitting there and there's like a two or three and a half hour kind of interview. Yeah. And you think, but you sit there and next thing you feel, I'm among friends here. like, Yeah. Because they're actually teasing out the issues and they're not necessarily giving each other a soft, soft ride or anything like that they're, but they're actually you know respectful and 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 engaging and they're discursive they're not hectoring and and and, and lecturing and and badgering the way in the paxman style or in the you know paxman yeah. had those are good qualities i'm not slagging them but you know he had good qualities as a journalist i think but that style has become very very i can't i, I can't stick it anymore now I, I don't do it i don't listen to it i don't watch it uh, and I used to a lot, you know, I used to watch, you know, things like Newsnight and all those kind of panorama. I used to love those kinds of programs. I can't do it anymore because of the uh, ideological bias and that tone, which is like they're trying to catch you out all the time. Yeah, I mean, we, I, I don't know how many times you and I have spoke. We, there, there are things we see differently and slightly differently. Um, mm. But um, 
it's one of the things I'm most proud about how this how this particular show has developed, and it's kind of by accident, really. Is that you know listeners do say to us, on especially on the comments, they say it's nice, Richie, that you laugh people on. They see it differently. But you see, that's how we were brought up. When I, when I was brought up at WLR, like if, the, the thing was, bring, find somebody to come on and make an argument against you know, something that you might kind of hold dear and listen to them and, yeah. and, 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 and let them finish the sentence and then say, right, fair enough, but what about that? And then shut the fuck up then and let them, and let them answer that. That's the way we were kind of educated to do it, you know? Well, there's another phenomenon that fits into this, and I don't know whether it's the chicken or the egg or how these things work, but I mean, it's the idea that, you know, and I don't know when this started, maybe about 10, 15 years ago, that, you know, to have a different opinion in certain categories was regarded as a moral failure. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And that that was the whole point, that there was a par- an element of shaming and all that stuff then. It crept into the media. That it wasn't just that they wanted to kind of prove you're wrong. They wanted to prove you're a bad person. Yeah. For thinking that, as you did. Yeah. That, that destroyed that, that whole model then, you see. And it's unwatchable now because it's toxic. And, and that's, that's what, I, paradoxically, I said, because YouTube was the, the, the channel that really put this out to the, the, the ether, you know, yeah. in, in recent times. Uh, but, of course, YouTube is completely, uh, you know, it's a deep state creation. Well, it was a trap, and, and wasn't it? It was a, it was yeah. a finger trap, basically. Yeah, yeah. You come, 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 come and, and have your big discussions and your free speech here, yeah, until, until such time as we, we don't, tell you to stop. We don't like what you're You've saying, just yeah. um, set off something in my brain again. That's why I love these conversations. You talk there about, you know, not... Not, not just trying to prove somebody wrong, but trying to prove them morally wrong. I remember when when I was younger, they gave us a free channel, uh, whichever whatever the cable provider was in Waterford. They gave us a free channel called Lifestyle. You might have had it in 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 the West. You might have had it in Dublin as well. And all of a yeah. sudden, all of a sudden, I was exposed as an eleven, twelve year old lad to Sally, Jesse, Raphael talk show in America, uh, Montel, Geraldo. Now, not all of them. Were, were great, but some of them were brilliant. I used to like Sally Jesse Raphael. She would have on the clan and, and, and people like that. And, and these are people with, with, with terrible kind of life outlooks, I would say, you know, the, yeah. the, the Ku Klux Klan. But what Sally Jesse was doing, and to a lesser extent, Geraldo, was genuinely portraying these people as human beings and trying to get to the bottom of why they felt as they did about black people and about Jews. And I thought this was magnificent. They weren't yes, bringing them on to humiliate yeah. them or, or to, yeah. to make them look like morons. Jerry Springer did that later on. But before that, they were actually trying to find out why you seem to be nice. You seem to have a, you know, a good relationship with your children. You bring them up properly. Why do you actually feel like that? I mean, Christ, that was brilliant. That's the kind of stuff inspired me, I think. Yes, and, and who knows, you know, what kind of, you know, uh, 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 redemption can emerge out of that as yeah. well, you know, and, and, and that's the thing, you know, that now people just want to say, oh, I'm this, I'm not racist, I'm anti-racism, I'm yeah. anti-fascism, and, all, and then that's their whole thing, and that's very, that's become deeply ingrained in, in journalism, you know, uh, you know, where they go on about the far right, anybody they don't agree with is the far right, that's you know. Right. Uh, and all this sort of nonsense. And and the result is that they've destroyed their business model. They think that it's purely because of competitive. Well, I mean, it was in the advertising market for sure. That was a part of it. But it was also ideological in the sense that they were actually attacking the people that they would have naturally expected to to listen yes, and watch yes. what they were doing. Can I tell you a quick story, a very quick one? Yeah. About, about two years ago, David Baddiel made a documentary on anti-Semitism for the BBC. 
And his producer rang me up three or four times and said, would I be interviewed by David? And I said, yes, on the condition that my friend Hayden Hewitt of LiveLeak.com, that Hayden could record it in full, we would swear and sign a contract that we would never release it until after uh, the BBC documentary goes out. And they said, well, why? And I said, well, I know you're going to try and, and stitch me up. Anyway, long story short, this was fascinating to me. This young woman was very nice. David wants to speak to you about why you've interviewed a Holocaust denier in the past and why you interviewed this guy in California, this politician, who was very, very much anti-Semitic. And I said, no problem. I said, I'll speak, you know, I'll speak to him. So she said, why, why, why did you have this guy on? And I had a Californian senatorial candidate on who, 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 who believed uh, that Jewish people have an evil gene and this guy was doing really well. And I said to the producer for David Badil, I said, are you not fascinated by a wealthy, a well-presented, articulate man with a big house and a, and a big family? Are you not fascinated why he thinks that Jewish people have an evil gene? And she said to me, well, he, he's obviously just, um, she said, her words were, he's a fuckwit and, uh, you know, he's a racist, he's terrible. And I said, well... He's a, he's a lot more than that. He might very well be a racist yeah. and a fuckwit, but he's other things to other people too. Why would you not want to speak to a guy like that? And she couldn't get her head around it. She could not. She was like, well, the only reason you would interview him is basically to shout at him and call him yeah. a racist. Well, you see, that's the thing, and <laughs> you get the same racist thing. I mean, if you even yeah. raise the first question about, about the, the policy, the, the immigration policies of your country, now you're called a racist. And, yeah. you know... I, I don't take the view, for example, I mean, I don't, I, this Holocaust denial, I don't, you know, I don't agree with that. No, I, I have no neither. reason no. to believe any of that whatsoever. No. But I totally object, which in Ireland now they're, brought, they're bringing in a law to make it a, a criminal offence to deny the Holocaust. This is absolute nonsense. My answer, my immediate response to that, uh, Richie, well, I say, okay, I, I'm prepared to accept that so long as you include the COVID Holocaust yes. as part of that, right? Yeah. And, and, and that you can't deny that either because that's happening right now. Fantastic. And, you know, like, and these are the very same people who are making it happen and concealing that it's happening in terms of the vaccines are the ones who want to ban anybody from questioning the, 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 the Jewish Holocaust, which I don't question at all. No. Uh, and, and this is the thing, you know, this is, you know, this is nothing to do with, with caring for people. No, it's they don't give of, a shit about Jewish power. people. You are 100% right. None of the people behind any of these laws or legislation give a damn about the sensitivities of Jewish people. And I'll tell you who's told me that. My accountant, who was, who was a Jewish gentleman in, in North Manchester, he, he has no time for this either. And he said to me, this, this idea of creating vulnerable groups, that I'm somehow vulnerable to hearing some idiot denying the Holocaust and therefore the state has to intervene on my behalf. This is brilliant. And nobody yeah. wants to talk about that. Like, like yeah. from his point of view, I'm not vulnerable. I don't give an arse if some guy, you know, do, do, doesn't believe the Holocaust happened. I do give an arse if some guy desecrates, you know, a cemetery. Or, or, or throws a stone at a bloke because he's wearing a skull cap. That's different. There are laws against that. Go and deal with it. But don't be putting people in jail because they, because they say something didn't happen. And, yes. and, and I love that attitude. 
I, I agree entirely. I mean, it's, it, you know, this is all about power. Yeah. You know, this is the cultural Marxist model, you know, that you, you know, you actually adopt, as it were, all these minorities who are supposedly vulnerable and all the rest of it, which is a deeply patronizing position Isn't to take. And, and then you use them as battering rams or as human shields so you can promote and push ahead your own agenda and you can conceal all kinds of things. You can then, for example, you know, uh, in the name of diversity, you can actually destroy diversity. You, because you destroy the individuality of every society in the name of creating diversity and you return you turn the whole human race into a kind of a stew uh, I do you get angry I, John can I ask do you get I, I get I find myself I'm a mild mannered guy my missus might say otherwise but I'm mild mannered I'm generally even tempered I'm watching television these days and every single advertisement no no that's a lie many of the advertisements I'm seeing are featuring mixed race couples now mm. my second cousin married uh, uh, a black lawyer called Harvey. Lovely fella. Very happy couple. Um, very unusual, of course. You know, an Irish girl. Um, fantastic. Who, who, who gives a shit, ultimately? Yeah. But to be, to be patronised like that by, by television advertisements, to be, to be told that, that red is white and white is, is black and pink is purple, the great majority of couples in this country are, uh, are, 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 are couples who married within their own cultural or, 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 or ethnic group. But if you yeah. watch television in the UK, well, you could be forgiven for thinking different. All the same is happening here now. It's madness. Actually, you know, and that, that, it, it's actually, but that's actually a way of kind of deracinating the Irish people. It's a yeah. way of attacking their own sense of, of, of being the, the, the host population. Like That's part of the globalist agenda, that there are no host populations. There is no such thing as an indigenous people. There is no such thing as natives. You know, you are simply a consumer, a consumer walking across the face of your country. Not your country, sorry. A, a, across a piece of territory. As, as Thomas Davis, the great uh, Irish patriot said, you know, a sandbank. Ireland is no sandbank, he used to say. And and that's the point. You know, that's what they're trying to destroy. It's got nothing to do with, you know, their love of black people or any coloured people. It's got to do with their desire to destroy the culture that we have. And that's not again. I mean, I, I personally no animosity towards any person of any ethnicity or colour or anything like that. And I'll talk to anybody that I meet. And if they're here in Ireland, they're welcome, as far as I'm concerned, on a personal basis. But I do question at a macro level the policies that essentially have invited the whole world to come into Ireland and not take any cognizance of the, the, the damage that will ensue to our culture unless we take steps to ensure that it doesn't. Let me ask and you this, and it'll be the final question. Let me, I'm not going to be devil's advocate. I'm going to ask you an honest question. Mm. What about those who would say, I give over with this feckin' culture talk, John? What culture? We, we, we've long ceased to be playwrights and poets, you know, and, and, and cultivators of the land. We, we turned into a nation of consumers and pissheads who go to the match and get pissed up on stout, and that's all we really are. What culture are you talking about? People will say well, that to me yeah, regularly. Yeah, well, you see, that's all very well, but that's the process that we're talking about. Yeah. You know, and the, that leads to, to absolute perdition. Once you, you know, we're, if you think it's bad now, like, you know, wait till you see when the conflict that will arise in these communities where people will return to their prof most profound ethnicities and become antagonistic to each other because nobody listened to them at the time when they said, well, look, can we, can we get a little bit of space to breathe? Yeah. You know, I say that to people, you know, you think that, you know, when you call me a racist for, for questioning this pol these policies, you think that you, when, if you ignore me, and you will, that this will go on and that, that that'll be the end of it. Well, I, let me tell you, 
the people who are coming after me will not be interested in talking. Yeah. Listen, we're um, we're we're bang up on time. I, you you've been very generous because we said we'd not. we go to half six. Um, you can read John at johnwaters.substack.com johnwaters.substack.com John and Gemma O'Doherty did something historic yesterday they challenged the constitutionality of the lockdowns well what they actually did was was they fought for their right to challenge the constitutionality uh, and the legality of the lockdowns they argued before the Supreme Court not many people get to say they did that, so um, I'm genuinely made. I know it might sound like fucking bullshit, but it isn't. I'm genuinely proud of the both of you. Thank you so much, Richie. I, I really am. I mean, it's funny. Yeah, you're right. I, I wrote a thing last week there about just before we go, uh, you know, that uh, that even the occasion you know, to be in the Supreme Court, it's a wonderful honour, you know, in lots of ways. And it struck me. I remember like there was a footballer down my way, down, down Roscommon, the Rossies, you know, Jimmy Murray, way back in the 40s. He's the captain of the All-Ireland, the team that won the All-Ireland twice in the 40s. And he was, years later, quite recently, uh, he's dead now, I think, but he, he was asked on the All Ireland morning. He says, "You know, how how what advice would you give to the to the players going out on the pitch today?" And he said, "The most important thing," he says, "is to enjoy the day because this is one of the greatest days of your life, and you need to take it in, absorb it, so that you remember it and celebrate it. You know, when you're an old fella, you know, and." That I took that advice, and I, even though I was nervous and all the rest of it, I I, I have a great sense of there was a, a certain majesty to the occasion, and and to the fact that we made it and we didn't back down, and and we said we're we're going, and that's it. We we've, we've been kicked back once, twice, but we're still going, and that's I think you know in all humility I would say to people, that's the example I would like people to take from this. Do not back down. Brilliant, John. Don't be a stranger, will you? Come back on any time you want. Don't wait to be asked, John. Love having you on. Thanks. I will indeed, Richie. Whenever there's anything to tell you, I'll be on. Do I'll give us shot. a shout. And God Thank bless. You. And all the best with the with 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 the the result, with the opinion. I can't wait for it. I'm sure you can't either. Thanks a million, John. Thanks. Thanks, Richie. God bless. Fantastic. That was uh, John Waters. JohnWaters.substack.com. Please go and read him. Uh, support journalists like John, one of Ireland's greatest columnists, and he really is, by the way. Uh, speaking to you and to me on Wednesday's Richie Allen Show, the 16th, I forgot to say to John, Law Fela Podrick, Son of Gwit, which means Happy St. Patrick's Day. I can't believe I, I missed that. Should have said that to him. Law Fela Podrick, Son of Gwit, which means Happy St. Patrick's Day to you. Yeah, tomorrow is St. Patrick's Day. Somebody said to me today, Will you be off tomorrow? And I thought, no, I've, I've, it's, 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 it's landed pretty much every year that I've done this show. It's landed in the week. Maybe once it was a Saturday. But no, I don't. I don't take it off. I'll be with you tomorrow at 7 o'clock. Excuse me, at 5 o'clock UK time. And after the show tomorrow, I might, I might have a Jameson. Or I might have a, I might have a can of Guinness. <laughs> I don't know. Will I? Will I have a can? Or dare I? Dare I go? to one of the local pubs and have a Guinness tomorrow after work. I won't do that because I'm going to watch Salford Red Devils. You might have heard me. Isn't John Waters amazing? I'm seeing the comments come in. He is amazing. You might have heard me mention last week that, you know, I miss having a few beers with the lads. I miss going to a game and, and having a couple of beers. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to watch Salford Red Devils play Leeds on Friday with my pal Tez and I'm looking forward to that. He's driving. I'm going to have a few scoops, a few scoops. That's a 
that's a, that's a journalistic term as well, obviously a scoop. I might have a scoop there, you never know, but um, I'm looking forward to a couple of beers. Her indoors has uh, given me permission. She said, all right, go on, go off and have a few beers with the lads. So I'm going to do that on Friday. A lot of comments came in there while John was chatting with me and you, so thanks for them. A number of you are making the point again, and I respect it, you know, about you, you, you still don't believe that the virus itself was genuine. I totally respect that. I've never done anything but respect your opinion. I don't know that you're wrong. Like I said, my bet would be on there being some sort of virus, but I don't know, right? John leaves room for it. I leave room for everything. Because what do I know? Paddy says, loving John tonight. Cheers, Richie. Uh, to John, I hope you get to have a black milk tomorrow. Paddy will be playing a gig in Blackburn. Enjoy, Paddy. Have a good one, pal. Law Philip Audric, son of Gwit. Uh, hi to Richard Kelly, who says I'd listen to John for hours. And Fanula Murphy, I gave Fanula a mention earlier on. She was there yesterday. She says that uh, John is the greatest. Andy Bailey says, um, could I get Dan Bingo back on the programme? Can always uh, try that, Andy. He wants um, him to talk about ways around the central bank digital currencies. Leave it with me, Andy. I'll reach out to him. No doubt about that. I'm happy to do that. I'm no fan of crypto. But if you know the sort of presenter I am. I'm happy to bring somebody on to tell me that crypto is good. You don't think I try to do that? I'm still spending hours and hours every week trying to get people to come on the programme to take positions against the positions that I hold. I really am. That's ingrained in me because of my mainstream days. But it isn't easy. Lots of people who say they don't believe the virus is real and they might have given an interview say maybe to Gareth maybe or someone else they won't come on with me that's how bad things have gotten even in the independent media people are so regimented when it comes to their opinions that even though they know I'm half a decent guy and I'll give them plenty of time they don't want to talk to me because if I believe the virus is real I must be some sort of shill that's the sort of thinking that permeates the independent media, and I hate it. I really do. I've bored you to death too many times talking about it. Jean-Anne Crowley, if she's listening, will be rolling her eyes, and I get that. But I never saw myself as a saviour. The saviour jingle is a joke. What I try to do over the years is try to, to kind of fight back against that mentality, which does permeate the independent media. You know, this idea that... Everything is black and white. You know, shills and all this sort of nonsense. No. You're not a shill because you have a different point of view on on any given subject. Yeah. Somebody, David is telling me that our, our pal Tony Gosling, who, ha, who has done a couple of spots with talk radio, apparently one of the talk radio presenters cut him off and kicked him off the programme the other day. Did they do that to Tony? That's pretty wretched if they did. Um, right. Loads and loads and loads of comments. Thanks for them. Back with you tomorrow Thursday at 5 o'clock UK time. This programme, of course, will be available in a few minutes, in a half an hour, on Potomatic.com richieallen.potomatic.com Do share the programme. Um, people need to hear people like John Waters. They need to hear him. 
and uh, it, it's helpful when you do share it if you can leave reviews I've not asked you to do in fact I've never asked you to do that never one time but if you listen to the programme on, on iTunes leave a review leave a bad review if you want but leave a review rate the programme on iTunes I think it might help with the visibility visibility of it. Uh, do that for me if you if you don't mind. Thanks again to John Waters, johnwaters.substack.com. Thank you for being there as usual. Closing out with Super Tramp and give a little bit. Until tomorrow, take care of yourselves. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday and I'll see you tomorrow. Bye.